The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that race line. Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 473. Coming to you on Monday, February 6th. We are going to look back at a wild first month of the 2023 offseason for the Trojans. USC going into the final year of not only the Heisman Trophy winning Caleb Williams era, but also the final season of the Pac-12. The new schedule is out. The Trojans have been getting a bunch of transfers in and out. We're going to talk about Kyle Ford going to UCLA. SC getting big pickups on the uh, the transfer market with Ethan White, Jack Sullivan, uh Anthony Lucas, so many other big guys, uh, everybody but Enzo Fernandez, who's uh, who's a blue. But we're not <laughs> going to talk about soccer here. Uh, we're talking about USC football, of course. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. You can always subscribe and give us a review over on Apple Podcasts. We'll always appreciate you. Uh, and... Um, and have a good time there. So, uh, as always, I'm your host, Mike Castillo, joined along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola, here in the Rancho Studio in Los Angeles. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, we're back. Uh, it is, I would say it's the first show of the new year, but it's not. We were, we did the, uh, we did the, uh, what is it, the car cast after the, uh, the Cotton Bowl, which was technically uh, January 2nd. So. Uh, a, d- a day a podcast, yeah. a game that uh, we would all do well to just forget. 
yeah, no, no kidding. But here we are uh, talking about uh, more USC football. Uh, we we're, we're gone for a month dealing with a bunch of uh, family stuff. Uh, family health stuff always takes the cake, always is uh, the more important, most important thing. Uh, so we had to step away from the podcast for a little bit, but we are back ready to talk about USC football more than ever. Uh, and we're super excited because we've got a lot coming in store, not only in this episode, uh, but later on this month, this season. Um, 2023 is going to be a big year for End of Troy Radio. We are pretty confident in that. Um, and we'll be unveiling a new thing next week, a brand new thing. A, a brand new uh, thing that's going to resemble the old thing that we used to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. Uh, if you can read between the lines, a uh, a new um, I don't know what do you call it a new subscriber service. Yeah, there you go. A new yeah. membership feature here over on YouTube. We're going to be talking about that next week. So, uh, if you want to help grow the show uh, and help become a uh, staunch rot bot, join the rot crew and all that stuff, uh, we're going to have more updates next week. It's going to be super exciting. Uh, more content coming your way as well. Um, and we can't wait for that stuff. We are super excited to get into it, but there's a lot to get into in this episode because we have so much to cover. So much stuff has happened. Uh, when last we spoke, TCU um, had yet to be beaten down by, by Georgia. Yeah, yeah. When last we spoke, uh, everyone still thought that Georgia was going to go 7-5. and five. That's uh, that's Potentially six and six. World. Yeah, even six and six. Have yeah. a losing record, everyone predicted, for that Georgia team. Yeah, when, when last we spoke, the Jacksonville Jaguars were still a losing football team, I think. Uh, I mean, yeah, they, they might have been, yes. Yeah. When, when last we spoke, uh, Liverpool wasn't uh, a team that wanted to make me pull my hair out and uh, give up all <laughs> sports. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, we're not talking about the. Uh, we're not talking the, about soccer. We're no. not talking about soccer. We we don't do that on this episode, no. this podcast for sure. Uh, we've got so much more stuff to talk about. Uh, let's just get into it. We're going to talk about uh, roster changes going into the 2023 season. Uh, then talk about the the schedule that has come out. USC's 2023 schedule. Um, we already knew the opponents, but getting the order um, is always you know, fun to talk about. You get to finally plan when you're going to go on road trips, all those sort of things, but also see how it all, you know, gets into an order. What's the, what's the tough stretch? What's the easier stretch? What are the trap games? All of that. We're going to talk about that towards the, uh, the end of the episode. Um, and of course, if you're joining us here live on YouTube, you can always join us in the chat and, um, uh, and, and join the discussion. Uh, talk along with us here as we chat here on YouTube um, and offer in your questions. Put the word question at the beginning. It helps us uh, be able to mark them and we get, when we get towards the end to do a little bit of a mailbag segment. Uh, or you can be like our friend Kenny and bring up uh, USC hoops. When last we spoke, SC had not uh, beaten UCLA this year in the hoops. They have since. When last we spoke, USC basketball was was still very much like a do they know where they're going this year? And and now it feels like they've gotten some things sorted out. So yeah, a lot has happened when since when last we spoke. This is true. Yeah, but let's get into the transfer portal stuff. Uh, we've talked about it before. Transfer portal versus 
you know, recruiting. We've asked you guys in the chat, what, what do you guys care about more than anything? It's the transfer portal. People care more about the transfer portal than they do about signing day. Signing day was what, five days ago? Dud. Absolute dud. Not just for SC. SC signed two guys on, uh, on signing day, but more so like it's not nearly as interesting as the transfer portal. So we can talk about Walker Lion, Walker Lions, and, and Jacoby Lane later. Um, let's talk about the transfer portal. Um, SC has one of the highest ranked classes uh, in the country, and of course, it's highlighted by a bunch of four star transfers. How, how do you feel about the star ra- ratings of, of transfers from from twenty four seven? I don't. I don't know about them yet. I don't think that they have figured out how to rate the transfers. I don't think I understand exactly what it is that they are basing their ratings on at this point yet. Mm. Um, I think I have a general sense of the more eligibility you have, um, the more likely you are to be a higher level transfer just in general. Like you tend to see the four star guys as the guys that have extra eligibility where a lot of the times Mm -hmm. there are impact transfers who are like one year of eligibility and you see them getting like a three star and you're like, well, I mean, I don't know about that so much, but um, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't know how to, how to judge it yet. Um, It's almost like looking at Juco transfer sort of rankings and sort of being like, okay, well, but relative to a regular high school, edition where did like where does this rank i, I almost yeah. i almost wish that they would like have an uh, a, an intermingled list of recruits and transfers which i know you obviously couldn't do it would be just absolute mess but like i almost yeah. wish that we could look at like okay of the top 100 players that could be added to your team this year from high school from other colleges from junior colleges whatever where do these people rank um I, I, I don't, I don't it's, know. It's obviously difficult, right? Like, because then at that point, do you add guys like um, potential returners, right? Yeah. Like, like we know that Justin Dietrich is coming back for, for another season in SC is, even though he wasn't in the transfer portal, shouldn't he get some sort of rating for coming back? Right. Like, well, like Blake Corum could have gone to the NFL. The fact that he's coming yeah. back to Michigan is probably their biggest recruit by far. So, yeah, right. it's it's all it's all a little bit of a mess. And I did think it was interesting that Bill Connolly this morning tweeted out a, a, a thing where he had crunched some numbers to sort of figure out uh, what recruiting classes, including high school and transfers, um will look like they'll have the most impact like for now like where is the the now impact and he had usc uh very high he had a number three out of the the top three i think it was lsu oklahoma and then usc so um, usc is doing a good job on the transfer front and the when you look at the bigger picture of the recruiting plus the transfers things are looking very solid for usc it's just everyone i think is still trying to grapple with how to look at that big picture because the transfer portal has really changed the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's look at the guys that SC is bringing in currently. Um, there isn't sort of a transfer window, but I, I think we can sort of well, there call is, one. There is, but it's not the same as a so- – like there's a window in which you can enter the transfer portal. Right, but it's not solid as, in the sense of like um, 
You don't have to get deals done by the end of it. Yeah, it's it's not like soccer where there is a deadline. Yeah. And whether or not um, a guy gets in or out uh, by, you know, 2 p.m. on the 31st determines things. Yeah, so there's no countdown. Yeah, but but essentially the the winter window of the transfer portal, uh, the winter chapter of the transfer portal, I guess we can talk about, um, basically coming to a conclusion here as we we um, you know get ready for uh, spring ball, which will be coming in about a month's time. SC will have that, and then after that, you would expect more transfer portal stuff. It's guys go into the transfer portal who either uh, wanted to see out spring ball or new things have changed, not only at SC, but, you know, elsewhere in the country, things always change as well. Injuries, uh, you know, position changes, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm going to run down the incoming transfers according to 24 seven sports uh, and their list of SC's incoming transfers um, ranked by their ranking. So the top guy SC gets, uh, a guy we haven't talked about on the pod yet, Anthony Lucas, four-star transfer out of Texas A&M, six foot six, two hundred seventy pound defensive lineman. He was the 59th overall recruit in the 2022 class as a four-star out of Chaparral over in Scottsdale. Uh, played seven games for the Aggies last year, recording ten tackles, a tackle for loss, and a hurry. Three years of eligibility. I think it's big for SC to get a big body on the defensive line. There's nothing. Uh, you know, SC message boarders want more than big bodies on the offensive and defensive line. This is exactly the kind of guy you want, especially out of Texas A&M, a school that has a bunch of turmoil right now. If you can go in there and pry the talent away, uh, you absolutely go do that, especially when you've got to sort of rebuild your defensive line with Tuli Tuipolotu, uh, the nation's leading sack leader going to the NFL. Yes, absolutely. And and this is another one of those ones where, you know, you look at the, the four stars, that's very much a reflection of the fact that he is essentially a re-rolled recruit. So he had his year at Texas A&M, but when it comes down to it, he is a year removed from being a top 100 recruit nationally. And USC is now added, if for all intents and purposes, if you think about it, as his year at, at Texas A&M was a redshirt year for him for USC. Uh, so it, it's, it's a sort of weird situation to grapple with, but when you are looking at USC's biggest position of need, it continues to be front seven continues to be in the defensive trenches. And this is a guy with a very high ceiling and who will be able to come in immediately and, and try to make his mark with, uh, with the talent that he has as a, as a pass rusher and also just sheer, you know, just size, you know, you, you can't right. teach six, six. Um, so huge addition for USC on the defensive line. One of several, uh, big additions for USC on the defensive line that I think, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about additional guys, but USC actually on the defensive line in particular has a nice mix of veteran fill a gap, uh, sort of short term rentals and, re-roll the recruiting dice, add potential kind of uh, next-level uh, impact kind of guys for USC. On that defensive line, you're sort of getting the whole spectrum of that, and he is definitely on that, uh, That that you know, in a year or two from now, he could be the best player on defense for USC. That's that's the level that they're looking at for him. So 
should be exciting to see him continue to develop. But also when he comes in, you have to also recognize just because he's a transfer doesn't mean he's not also a, for the, for, for all intents and purposes, a redshirt freshman. So yeah, uh, judge your, uh, take your expectations by that level. Yeah. And, and I always, you know, mention the, the idea of like a lot of transfer and this is obviously changing, but a lot of transfers, uh, it, are a result of being over recruited or under recruited. Um, so you always, that doesn't necessarily, no one's guaranteed transfers included. So you got to make sure that, you know, he was a top recruit uh, a year ago. You got to make sure that you're able to get all the talent out of him still. So well, I would um, add, just because he's a top recruit doesn't mean he's guaranteed to, uh, to perform. You got to develop. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're 100% right. I would add, I think you need to add a category to your over recruited, under recruited, or just, just had a had regret like i think well we're there's the see... there's the need to change right yeah. i think the need to change is in there i think transfers i think are changing drastically you have need to change yeah you have you have people who uh quarterbacks i think don't even apply to any of those categories no. um yeah the, the the whole thing is completely changing absolutely so um somebody who is not in one of those i guess you could say under-recruited, uh, someone who is be- blossoming into being a superstar is Dorian Singer. We talked about him uh, back in December. Uh, he comes from Arizona. He was the second leading receiver in the conference in, ter- in terms of receiving yards. First team all-pack 12 wide receiver, and now he gets to play for the Heisman Trophy winning uh, quarterback, uh, Dorian Singer. Absolutely a four-star um, transfer in, someone that you got to be excited for. Um, we've talked about him before, so I don't want to talk too much here because what is there to say? He is this year's Jordan Addison plug and play immediately becomes a wide receiver one or one a with, uh, Mario Williams. with Mario Williams, maybe, maybe Taj Washington. And you have a triumvirate of, of three elite guys right there. At worst, USC has a triumvirate of, of elite guys. Yes. I think there's a chance that any of those three, any of five at this point, emerges like the go-to guy for Caleb Williams. But mm-hmm. right now, it just looks like he has a stable of guys who he can just spread the ball around to. And Dorian yeah. Singer adding his, adding his level. Yeah, you, you worry a hell of a lot less about the Jordan Addison departure. Yeah, and then the other Arizona... Guy, skill guy that SC brings in is Christian Roland Wallace, uh, the three-name man, uh, the cornerback, a four-star uh, who has a year of eligibility coming in. Uh, Tons we'll, of experience. Yeah, we've talked about him before as well. A lot of experience and sort of is this year's Makai Blackman. I, I, I don't want to make that's I don't want to make like primo, lazy yes. comparisons, but sort of like not necessarily he's going to be Makai Blackman, but more so he sort of fits that role of veteran. Pac-12 corner that you bring in from a division foe. Yes, absolutely. Even though there's no more division. So well. uh, the other one, uh, a USC running back coming from the other USC, even though they're not USC they're not US. legally. Uh, Scar, Marshawn Lloyd, which to me, is that or is that not a um, like a Madden-generated name, Marshawn Lloyd? Absolutely a Madden-generated name. Yes. Absolutely, Yes. Uh, five foot nine, two hundred and twelve pounds. He was the top running back transfer uh, in this transfer portal window. Uh, four star running back and the forty third overall recruit in the twenty twenty class. 
out of uh, DeMatha Catholic in Hyattsville, Maryland. Uh, led the Gamecocks with 573 rushing yards, nine touchdowns in nine games this past season. He had a quad injury later in the, on in the year, kind of cost him uh, a, a bit of action. But two years of eligibility, he's a low to the ground guy, five foot nine, center of gravity, kind can kind of pinball a little bit, and I think he can be a great fit uh, to put next to uh, to Austin Jones in the backfield. Yeah, he was very good at South Carolina when he was healthy. And adding him is another one where you look at it and you go, is this your is this your Travis Dye addition? Yeah. Um, doesn't have the track record that Travis Dye came in with, but uh, a lot of that's just because of health. I, I don't think they're so, comparable players in terms no. of their style. But, yes. You know, but similar in, in profile, I guess. In terms of, in terms looking, of experience. looking at USC's running back room for the coming year, you lose Travis Dye. You are adding a couple running backs in the recruiting class who show a lot of potential. But if you were going into this season with just Austin Jones and Relique Brown as your sort of primary two, mm-hmm. you wouldn't feel bad about that. No. But you'd feel like there could be a gap there, specifically because running backs often have injury trouble and USC's track record with keeping running backs healthy through the whole year generally isn't good usc almost always cycles through three or four you can't get away with just having two i don't think it's an sc uh, thing i think no that's no just, i think that's everybody it's, yes yeah. it's a hard position to to play right. and stay healthy at you're still darwin Bar- barlow too yeah and darwin barlow yes so what you've done now similar to what you you've done with the wide receivers is you've continued to open the door to just just having a a very solid depth worth of guys mm-hmm. who can come in and take over now my bet will be that Austin Jones will still be running back number one. Uh, but Marshawn Lord is absolutely at his peak capable of being that number one guy instead. He could take that job from Austin Jones. Um, at worst, I think you see him plug in as the sort of the the, the number two guy. What well, basically he could be what Austin Jones was last year for for USC. Yeah. Uh, with with Relique Brown still being the one that's the hardest to figure out where he fits in terms of the breakdown of the carries uh, yeah. because you've added Marshawn Lloyd. But that's not a bad thing. They're very, very different runners, very, very different styles. Uh, the, the contrast between the two, you could certainly play off of each other as well. So, again, depth very much helped. High level starting quality depth, perhaps. Uh, but the injury issue is certainly... The knock, yeah, I yeah the the injury stuff uh, last year. Even though it was a you know quad injury, he did come back for the Clemson game. So uh, big win for South Carolina over Clemson as well. So like, yeah, I I don't know. I I, I think it's be interesting to see how the 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 backfield forms. I think that SC is in a very good spot with those four guys before you even include you know freshman signees and. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with Relique Brown. Like, is it a situation where SC realizes, okay, he's Percy Harvin and he's more of a receiver? Or, no, he's Travis Etienne and he's more of a running back. Like, he's one of those tweeners that could go any either of those ways. I'm just and I gonna... think that, that him, like, being able to be that guy gives you a lot of flexibility. But I just, yeah, I think it does. It does make it fascinating to see what happens with the with the backfield. Yeah, I would bet on on them still going moving forward with him at, at running back with really Brown. But yeah, um, either I way, think, he's yeah, he's going to see time at running back. Absolutely. Yes. 
I think the important thing here for USC is that they're not going to be pigeonholed into trying to, to use Relique Brown as an every down back if they had to. Yeah. Because now they have the depth to deal with with exactly. an Austin Jones injury. Yeah. You have a second option to Austin Jones instead of uh, a situation where you end up where if you lose Austin Jones and you don't trust Darwin Barlow and the freshmen are freshmen, suddenly Relique Brown is your bell cow back and you don't that's a waste for him. That's not that's not the way that you want to get him involved. Right. And this uh, allows you the freedom to find out what works the best with Brown, which I yes. think is the sort of the best case scenario there. Um, let's talk about the offensive line. I want to sort of jump out of position here. The next guy was on the list uh, for star transfer was Mason Cobb out of Oklahoma state. A guy who says two thumbs up. Yeah. Big, big get for SC right in the, in the starting linebacker spot. You would imagine he just slots right in there. Uh, second team, all big 12. We talked about him a bit back in December. Uh, tackle machine does have a little issues with wrapping up on tackles a little bit, but you know, uh, he's in the right place for that, I guess. Uh, SC continues to need to work on that part, but he's always in the right place. And that's what you sort of want. Um, talking about the offensive line, I want to sort of batch some guys together here. Uh, SC gets three big transfers, Ethan White out of Florida, Michael Tarquin out of Florida and Jarrett Kingston out of Washington state white and Tarquin. Uh, sorry. White is a four star Tarquin and Kingston are three star transfers um, together. A whole lot of starts uh, 20 for Ethan white 10 for Tarquin uh, and Kingston was a three year starter at guard and tackle uh, for Wazoo um, all pack 12 honorable mention. Uh, but Ethan White, AP All-SEC second-teamer, uh, one year of eligibility for him, two for Tarquin, one for Kingston. These are all guys uh, six foot four or bigger, 320 uh, pounds or bigger. Like these are, you know, big body dudes that absolutely fit in this in this offensive line. Uh, and our, our friend Chris Trevino of uscfootball.com put together that you add these guys to what SC already has. Suddenly you're looking at an offensive line of Kingston at left tackle, Ethan White at left guard, Dietrich at center, Monheim at right guard, Tarquin at right tackle. That's pretty solid. I, I know that there's probably not a single guy there that you would tab to be your preseason All-American maybe, but, you know, potentially. And But don't you sort of feel like this offensive line is rebuilt back to the point that you would have expected them to be uh, at the end of the season pre, you know, Pac-12 championship game. Offensive line was supposed to be the biggest concern for USC um, on offense going into 2023. I have zero concern about this group anymore. Zero. Yes. You, Agreed. You bring back Justin Dietrich, which was the first domino that needed to fall. And you've added three starting quality offensive linemen to a group that we already know has a coach and a scheme that yeah. that work in harmony and that put them all in, in, in position to succeed. The level that USC played on the offensive line in 2022, this group is absolutely capable of matching that level, uh, if not bettering that level in, in 2023. Um, you know, losing Brett Nealon is a is is certainly a big deal given his his um uh, experience and and the level that he played in 2022, but 
Justin Dietrich has the has the chance now to go and make that center position his own. And there had been talk, you know, years, years before that Dietrich had a higher potential ceiling than Nealon in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see what he is able to do now that that's his position to own. And everybody radiating around him now, you have to feel very good at. The three that you've added are starting quality players from other conferences, high-level starting quality players. Um, Jonah Monheim has been a very solid offensive lineman for USC. And what I like the most about that group is short of a D-ditch injury, which reopens the door to what do you do at center, mm-hmm. Um all four of the other positions on that line are now going to be occupied by somebody who you will say is deserving of starting quality. And if they're not, then you open the door for somebody to compete. If Cortland Ford is starting over Jarrett Kingston, it's because he's playing well enough to start Mm -hmm. over, over a a three year starter that was at, at Washington state. If Mason Murphy is in that lineup, it's because he's playing better than, a multi-year starter at an SEC program. Right. Um, that is a great position to be in where we were going into this offseason thinking that it was going to be a, well, hopefully you keep Dietrich and then what do you do? Well, you hope that Mason Murphy comes along and you hope that Gino Canones comes along and you hope that Cortland Ford can be worthy of starting again. And you hope, 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 hope. There's just a lot of hope in, in certain players that USC had on that roster now, you, you don't have to worry about that anymore. The guys who are going to play are either, you know, proven starters or will have to beat out a proven starter. It's a very good position to be in. I, I know that this, you know, seems rudimentary to say this about a Lincoln Riley coach team, but it is weird to be in a position where you don't have to worry at all about USC's offense. Yeah. Every question that I've had, they've answered and like improved on the answer, right? Like, yeah, I I was worried about how the offensive line was going to be going into the season. They were arguably the, in terms of pass blocking, I mean, sorry, run blocking, especially, they were like the best offensive line that SC's ever had. Um, pass blocking, you know, that, that left some to be desired, but SC had the, the least sackable quarterback they've ever had. Yeah. So that ended up, you know, working, working out. out in their favor that, you know, Caleb Williams is a cheat code back there. Um, and then, you know, going into the Cotton Bowl after the disaster, disaster of the Pac-12 championship game where Voorhees is out, uh, Caleb Williams gets hurt, Brett Nealon goes down with, with an injury as well. There's no way that they're going to be able to protect and block in in the Cotton Bowl, and you know they're they're not going to. I I don't know that I can can trust Caleb Williams' health, and the offense was as efficient as like they've been all year, and they were able to just move the ball up and down the field with no no issues and all those things. And okay, you go into the off season. Well, how are you going to replace all Americans on the offensive line and all this stuff? Well, they they did it by going out and getting a second teamer out of the SEC, um, getting a, a dude in Jarrett Kingston who everyone in Washington State expected him to go to the NFL. Yeah. He walked in the uh, the senior day line over at Washington State. Like people thought he was going to the NFL, and then no, he changes his mind at the last second, wants to uh, to go play left tackle for the for the Heisman Trophy winner. So, 
Um, FC is able to put the, together this offensive line. We know that it's a it's an offensive scheme um, that helps the offensive line. Um, and there's no reason in the world to doubt anything at this point um, about the offense because they keep answering the bell. And Lincoln Riley's Lincoln Riley's scheme is going to continue to do that until you say that it gets proven that that that's not the case anymore. Uh, the flip side is, what do you do on defense? As he's got to get better on defense. They get Anthony Lucas. We talked about the four-star transfer out of Texas A&M. Uh, and then Mason Cobb, the, uh, the, the linebacker starter, presumably slots in. And then the other guy on the defensive line that we can talk about now is Jack Sullivan, four-star defensive line uh, transfer out of Purdue, six foot five, 275 pounds, one year of eligibility last year, uh, 38 tackles, seven tackles for loss, five and a half sacks. Sort of this, this class is this transfer class is Solomon bird. Maybe guy with the, with a lot of experience and uh, a fair bit of production. And now he comes in and is going to be in a, you know, position of need and hopefully use that experience to build a pretty solid defensive line. Yes, absolutely. And, and at the risk of making the laziest comparison um, possible, he is the replacement for Nick Figueroa. Not, not because he is a white defensive lineman, uh, who is similarly sized to Nick Figueroa. You are going to go with Lichtenstein? Uh, yeah, Jacob Lichtenstein. Yeah, no. Uh, not the same type of player at all. But it, but in, if we're talking about where USC is losing Tuli Tuplotu, they're losing Nick Figueroa, they're replacing them with guys like Anthony Lucas with Jack Sullivan. Not, neither of those are like-for-like like replacements, right. but they are the bodies that are going to come in and have to do their own thing in mm -hmm. those similar positions. So, um, yes, USC is going to have to lean on Jack Sullivan quite a bit on this defensive line um, just because he he is also closer to the, the finished article. He is he's the, the, the senior transfer, the, the grad transfer. What you've seen is what you're going to get from him yeah. coming from Purdue, where Anthony Lucas, you still got to be a little bit patient with him. He's, he's a younger guy. Let him develop. But you need to see Jack Sullivan walk into the team Somewhat similar to the way Nick Figueroa did, and and just immediately mm -hmm. just you know carve out a place on on the field and and do his job. Um, next to to Keon Bars from from Arizona, that is is what's transforming. He's um, the replacement for Stevie T, as far as I'm concerned. He's sort of the guy that you hope is that the old man who comes in and just well, sort of like the uh, the the inside sort of nose guy that you want. Um, Oh, Keon Bars. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Peely was the guy that you hoped would be that man, and sort of never really took to it. And I think Keon Bars could be could be that guy. So uh, SC's defensive line really starting to come together in terms of the number of guys that they have. Obviously, you need to see the production and to see everything sort of come together. Um, off the end, they got Jamil Muhammad from uh, Georgia State. We talked about him before. Uh, Romello Height is going to be back next year as well. Who I uh, wanted to talk about, by the way, because Romello Height was supposed to be another one of the those guys that the sort of a little bit more veteran who was going to come in and and carve out a role immediately and just plug and play. Um, the fact that he got injured so early in the season um, 
in the terms of that soccer players like to say, it's almost like a new signing um, because USC didn't get to see anything from him uh, earlier yeah. in the season. And so now he's back uh, to be able to compete with, uh, with people like Jamil Mahalan with uh, Muhammad, with Corey Foreman, with all those guys, you now have more bodies that can come in and contribute. Mm-hmm. Again, to the point where if Corey Foreman isn't getting the job done, if you don't trust him, you don't have to play him if Romello Height is there or if Jamil Muhammad, Muhammad is there um, or, or or any of those guys. So again, USC is adding solid depth at worst. And uh, that's really what you got to ask for. Now, uh, transfers are probably going to end up being a little bit like recruiting where you look at it and you go like every recruit is almost a 50-50 proposition. Are they going to pan out or not? Um the more of these solid depth guys that you get, the more likely you are to not have anybody who's dead weight while also maybe one of those guys is going to hit. Maybe you will find your Stevie T. Maybe you will find your game changer. Right. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how everything comes to be. But either way, I, I really like what SC has sort of done um, in the transfer portal, both on the offensive and defensive lines. Um, the last guy that they get, of course, is Eddie Zaplicki. Uh, best punter in the Pac-12. Uh, that's what you want SC to do. SC is uh, the, um, uh, for lack of a better way, you want SC to be the big swing dick in the conference and go out and like <laughs> get the best players in the conference, take them from other teams. They've done that with Dorian Singer. They've done it now with uh, with Eddie Zaplicki coming from ASU, uh, who led the conference uh, in, in, in punting last year. So um, average of uh, 45.98 yards per punt. Um, got a lot of experience doing it over at ASU uh, last year. He comes to SC with uh, with a couple years of eligibility left as well. So um, let's talk about the transfers out. Um, Kyle Ford. Kyle Ford goes in the transfer portal. And I don't think that's shocking in the slightest. Like, you know, SC's got... Mario Williams, SC's got Taj Washington. They get a couple of five-star guys, Makai Lemon, um, you know, they uh, Zach Brown. Like guys are um, Zach Branch. Guys are are coming into SC. Got Dorian Dorian Singer comes in. Like this is you know, difficult for someone like Kyle Ford, who we all think should be starting somewhere, right? The price to pay for, for recruiting so much, uh, so many different receivers is that you're going to end up losing some guys. Kyle Ford, kind of the guy that I think that I think I can speak for a lot of SC fans is a bummer to lose, right? It's a, I, I understand. I think everyone understands that going out and getting Dorian Singer is like, you absolutely want to do it, but, the price is that you end up losing Kyle Ford. The hope is that he wouldn't go to UCLA and lo and behold, he goes to UCLA. And then there was a, a tweet out about it. Um, uh, I, my brain is freezing on me right now. Is it yes. Brendan Rice uh, who tweeted that um, something about like he was serious during the, during the season? about uh, apparently he was serious about going to UCLA oh, that he had yeah. mentioned it during the season or something like yeah. that. Um, so yeah, he goes to UCLA. CJ Williams goes to Wisconsin. Um, those are the two receivers that SC sort of loses. 
Yeah, on the surface, I mean, you're fine with losing those two guys. Uh, you don't want to lose them, but you understand that when you have a stacked receiving group, everyone wants to eat and not everyone's going to be able to eat. And so some of, some of them are going to yeah. leave and somebody was going to have to leave. And mm -hmm. was it going to be CJ Williams or was it going to be Kyron Hudson? Was it going to be Kyle Ford or was it going to be Michael Jackson, the yeah. third um, either way, you don't feel good about losing them. You feel a hell of a lot better about CJ Williams going to Wisconsin. Yeah. Cause now you, you, you well, don't see him. You're not, oh, you're, oh, wait a minute. Next year. USC going to play Wisconsin? SC's going to the Big Ten. Oh, yeah. See, see, this is one of those things that still is like it's you, you, your year. brain is like just never wired to remember. It's, it's 2023. 2024 is next year. Uh, you you want to know an alarming, wow. an, an alarming thought? <laughs> just realize I turned 35 next year. Oh, my gosh. Terrifying. Do you remember when you start going, put money into a casket? Do you remember when David Sills committed to USC? You, you want to know my favorite part about that? Stupid me at the time wrote an article on Renatory.com how SC had figured out their quarterbacks for the remainder of the decade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I wrote like, well, currently they have uh, um, Matt Barkley. And, and then that will turn into, um, I think I said Max Wittick, which will then turn into um, uh, well, Brown and then uh sills will take over and he'll run out of eligibility in 2020 like yeah. i just i just remember when when he committed it was like wow the class of 2017 or whatever it was was so far away yes and now we are so far removed from the class of 2017 well, it's it's scary i i remember thinking that the class of 2015 was so far away when snoop's kid yeah. Was a I think he was a 2015 guy, right? And like that felt like he was a big recruit like as a freshman in high school. And now we've got Lane Kiffin tweeting videos of his son Knox throwing the football and adding Lincoln yeah. Riley. Uh that is a <laughs> that's a thought. But uh but either way, yeah, so it's it's still wild that US is going to the big big ten. But either way, Wisconsin, even if it was a conference rival. Uh, just somebody in the conference, you Soon wouldn't be. you wouldn't be as uh, as as tore up about it as Kyle Ford going to UCLA. Right. Now, if I take off my sort of emotion cap and and just sort of be very robotic, well, about you've never been emotional, never ever. Um, about the calculation, like yes, it makes a lot of sense if you want to stay in LA. Yeah, I don't want to leave sure. LA either, Kyle Ford. Right. Um, and I want to you know, be a starter on a football team. Well, I can go to UCLA and play power five football in Los Angeles and, and start like I get it at the same time. That's not a move you can make. Like my pride would prevent <laughs> me from making that move. I just, I can't, I can't, I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't know how somebody I, it's now happened twice. And the first time yeah. again, you put on your thinking cap and it made even more sense for, for uh, Caleb. Um, well, I mean, it's happened three times. Uh, if you include um, uh, what's his face, the, the lineman that from two years ago, that is not chat. Help me out. Um, who? Anyways. 
Oh, Jay Toya. Joy, yeah, Jay Toya. Yeah. yeah, that was that was that was not good. Um, but like the Caleb Wilson thing made sense. Yes, he you was a I mean? walk on. You can't. He was getting a scholarship. Like there's no. Yes, and I, and I, no I think that, I think there's a world where like I think you know from the SC perspective you can sort of uh, you know re- respect Caleb Wilson for going to get his scholarship. And like, you know, you kind of, you you respect him for being able to put together a hell of a great season that that, that he did over at UCLA and all that stuff. Like the Kyle Ford stuff is, you know, he was such a fan favorite because he was the the guy that people wanted to start over Brendan Rice. He eventually does towards the end of the season. Everyone loves what they see out of of Kyle Ford. And then it's like, no, I I didn't want to hate you. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those situations. You know what it, well, you know what I wish could happen is if, transfers were like loaning a player in in the premier league (laughs) where when you loan a player out they can't play against you like they just cannot participate in that game (laughs) could Could we have a transfer rule that's similar to that 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 i don't have to hate kyle ford that would that would be wild but at the same time it'd be great drama uh for him to come to the coliseum and you know have a game yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens in November. Uh, other transfers out uh, to CV Nomura is going to Fresno State. He's going to be a bulldog. Uh, there's another USC wide receiver who SC will face next year. It's Jake Smith. USC legend mm-hmm. Jake Smith. Yes. One of the all-time have... great USC receivers, Jake Smith. We all have those memories of watching Jake Smith. What was your favorite footballs. Jake Smith moment as, as the Trojan? Uh when he committed and we all thought that's a good receiver. Yeah. Hell, hell of a, hell of an era he had at SC for sure. Yes. Uh, Raylan Goforth, we've talked about before, headed to Washington. Xavier Alford also headed to ASU. Julian Simon to Tulsa and Max Gibbs didn't get the memo that, um, <laughs> that Deion Sanders is no longer at Jackson state. I, I kid of course, but uh, he's headed to Jackson state. So uh, good for him to, for finding a home. Uh, along with everybody else, uh, we'll see what they do. Hopefully, uh, they all have successful careers as they move on. Except against USC. Sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'll we'll see what comes. The guys still in the portal: Britton Allen, Gary Bryant Jr. back in the portal. Uh, Colin Mobley, Kobe Pepe, uh, Jaden oh, Williams. Oh, Colin Mobley Colin just pulled Mobley himself just off. Just pulled himself out. Yeah. yeah. It, that's right. Um, Which Jayden is big Williams because USC needs Kato. those. USC needs those bodies on the defensive line. So. Uh, having him pull his name out, um, hopefully that sticks because anyone who pulls their name out and then goes to spring camp and doesn't like what they see as far as uh, the pecking order is also a threat to leave in the summer. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so we will see what happens there. Uh, let's talk about the uh, signing day that just happened. SC signed two dudes. Uh, the first one of note is Jacoby Lane, a guy. Uh, four-star um, wide receiver at a Red Mountain High in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, of course, the uh, winter home of the Chicago Cubs. Great place. Uh, six foot four, 175 pounds. Um, a guy who was committed to SC for a long time. Ultimately, wasn't going to sign in with SC in December. L- opened it up. Looked like he was going to, you know, potentially go elsewhere. But he ultimately signs on signing day for the Trojans. Another wide receiver helping you know fill out the the right wide receiver room when you lose guys like uh cj williams and and kyle ford like even though you have the top end dudes who are ready to you know start immediately you still need to have the next wave there and 
uh, he helps um, sort of build that next wave, uh, along with um, four-star tight end, the fifth-ranked tight end in the country, Walker Lyons, six foot four, two hundred thirty pounds, out of Folsom. Uh, he's LDS and is currently on a mission now, and he will not enroll at SC for another year. So expect him to join the Trojans in 2024. Yeah, so he at least is not going to be gone for the full two years. That often happens with the LDS missionaries. So he's going to be uh, – He it was funny because I saw a picture of him doing a – he's already begun his mission, He but he's doing like the training or whatever that they do sort of locally. So mm-hmm. he was in his missionary clothes while Georgia came for an in-home visit. Where, where's uh, where's he? Where's he doing his mission? Do we know? The Netherlands. I want to say that's that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think I I know it was a cool. It was it was like a yeah a cool place that like like sounds. So Georgia went knocking on the missionary kid's door, like a sort of reversal of of uh, roles there. Because usually the mission, all right, did I flew going right? okay over my head. That's Anyways, fine. Walker Lyons, former Stanford recruit, um, a Stanford commit. Um, I think the name Walker Lyons just sounds like a Stanford tight end to me. For SC to go get a a Stanford tight end, I think is huge because uh, we know um, uh, Norway says says Cameron. By the way, oh Norway, uh, Norway. Thank you for the correction. Yes, Norway, Norway, high on the Michael list of countries to visit. Yeah, Norway is extremely high. Norway looks absolutely yes stunning. It's 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 Europe's Alaska. You and I have talked about doing a cruise yeah. um, in Norway or in in mm-hmm. one of those uh, Scandinavian countries that has uh, uh, fjords and and the like. And I think I would very much love that. The only thing about moving or like going to Norway that would give me pause is that I do not like fish. And uh, you're missing out. Yeah, you like fish and chips, Michael. That's it's not the same fish. thing. It's still I fish. eat fish and chips. If I, if you fry it and batter it, I am on board. Well, then but like, you don't have anything to worry about. We'll, I've we'll, had I have when, had when, way when, more like when, when Walker comes back, we'll we'll, we'll ask, ask him, him some his, his favorite his recs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, so uh, either either way, the tight end position with this uh, recruiting class is very interesting because USC goes and gets Walker Lyons. It's a little bit of surprise. They're also after Deuce Robinson, the mm-hmm. five-star tight end who Georgia also wants and who a bunch yeah. of other schools also want. But Deuce Robinson didn't sign with anybody. He's delaying. Yes. Apparently he's um, looking at baseball, the, ba- the MLB draft, as like a, a thing that's going to impact. If, you're Deuce, if your name is Deuce, you can be a two-way Hey, it Sport it was guy. it was given. It was uh, it was his parents manifested it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's a five star out of Pinnacle High in uh, in North Phoenix. Uh, Pinnacle High, uh, same place, um, I believe, as Spencer Radler. He's also a yes. Pinnacle guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, let's get to the schedule. That's how the roster currently shakes up. The 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 people coming in and out. We've been on here for 50 minutes and not talked about the schedule. Let's get to the 2023 USC football schedule, of course. 
Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall. See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks. So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins. Bingo. You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn 10 bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Price Picks lets you get on the action on more than 30 states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today and use the code Rain of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's the Price Picks app with the code Rain of Troy for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Alicia, we have to start in week zero. USA kicking off the campaign against the San Jose State Spartans in week zero. Week one, November 2nd, at home against the Nevada Wolfpack. Week two, uh, which is game three for USA. This is going to be very awkward because Mm. all the numbers will not line up. Uh, Week two, game three for SC at home, of course, is the Pac-12 home opener against Stanford on September 9th Uh, week three is a bye week um, and then the numbers sort of start to correlate (laughs) week four is game four for USC and it is on the road in Tempe at ASU uh, on September 23rd Uh, week five SC goes on the road to Colorado avoids the cold weather in Boulder gets them on September 30th to play uh, Deion Sanders and the new look buffs Um, Saturday, October 7th in week six, SC is home to Arizona. That concludes a six game start, which I think we can say is probably the more manageable, manageable side of USC schedule. The first half, anything less than six and O is, um, not living up to expectations. Given the, where the expectations are going to be for USC. Yes. Not living up to reasonable expectations. Even yes. No uh, six and oh, USC will be favored heavily in all six of those games. Yes. I by double digits in, in all the majority of, them. of them. Yes. Yeah. I think in the first half, I think that the most difficult game is going to be Arizona and it's at home and it's an Arizona team that doesn't have Dorian singer anymore. And it's an Arizona team that SC sort of rated for talent. The 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 ASU in Colorado at all of it all is really more about unpredictability than anything because you're going up sure. against squads that are going to look very different in a personnel sense and that are being coached by new people. New SC teams, should still win by twenty easily. Should still over win both, both of, of those games. Yes. Yes. 
Um, so that's the first six weeks. Um, solid for SC. I guess the first seven weeks is the bye week in week three. Mm-hmm. Um, very manageable for six games. And then you get into the back half and buckle up, folks. It gets fun. Uh, week seven, October 14th at Notre Dame, of course, followed by at home against Utah. Then a trap game on the road, October 28th in Strawberry Canyon against Cal up in Berkeley. It's a trap game because it's after Notre Dame and Utah, but it's before SC plays Washington on November 4th at home, followed by a week 11, 11-11 game on the road in Eugene. Uh, against the Oregon Ducks, the very last time SC will ever be going to to Austin Stadium. Followed by Week 12 at home against UCLA, uh, which is then, you know, leads SC into a Thanksgiving bye week. The third time in the last six seasons that SC will be off Thanksgiving week, um, giving them an extra week to prepare for the Pac-12 championship game if USC makes it. Uh, SC is going to the last nine games of the, of the regular season will be in order nine games in nine weeks, most in a row for the Trojans since 2017, when they played 12 straight, did not have a bye week between any of their regular season games. And that was tough. Yes. But the and, last six uh, games in this schedule, absolutely brutal. Because yes. even like the Cal game is the is the odd man out there, right? Yeah. Um, and I think we all expect UCLA to take, to take, a, take a step back, but it, it's still if UCLA was in the first half, they'd be the the toughest game of the first half. Yeah. Um, but, but you're also you're also seeing a UCLA team that at the end of the season is at the end of the season. If yes. they decide to start Dante more early. Um, he's a sophomore. He, at the end of the he, I mean, yeah, he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll have quite a bit of, uh, of playing experience already. So that's something to sort of consider. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, none of those games are, are easy. None of those games are simple. Uh, if you took any of the tops, any of the first six games and sprinkled them in between those games, you'd feel like the schedule was that much more balanced. You'd feel like you have yes. room to breathe where this is very much week seven hits and, and it's all, you know, full steam ahead um just survive survive in advance survive in advance is is essentially what's going to be going on you get a little bit of a breather against cal but it's still a road it's still a road game it's still justin wilcox i mean i i I don't want to i don't want to completely disregard cal i'll be fair i'll be honest i don't know a whole lot about what their roster looks like going into this coming season i haven't looked at it if they've lost they've lost a lot of guys um j michael certament went to ucla yeah. Um. So he's sort of a big loss for them. So that that could be they they that could be the cupcake that USC needs in the middle there. But, but I don't think I think you lose a little bit of cupcake status if you want to call it that when you put them in between those other guys and make it the road game. Yes, it being a road game and and all road games require your concentration. That's the thing. Like, like I, if it was I, home, it's very different. But obviously, that game is not as scary as hosting Washington State and Michael Penix or going on the road to play Bo Nix uh, in Eugene. But like it's, you know. Yeah, to to be fair, of the three games in that block, week eight, nine, and 10, that's the one you'd pick to be the road game (laughs) if you get the other two at home. Yes. You want Utah at home. You want Washington at home. So like 
that's that's fair. But it's still a very very tough a tough schedule. Um, right. Mo- everyone but Cal in that group, theoretically, you could be looking at top ten teams. Uh, they won't all be top ten teams. The way that a season just plays out, that's just literally not possible. Right. But USC could get a cascade. I mean, they could get a cascade of top ten teams. Is what I'm saying. Is yeah. if Notre Dame is top ten and then USC beats them and then Utah, Utah moves up into the top ten and then USC beats them and then they get Cal. And then you get Washington as a top 10 team. You beat them and maybe Washington falling out ensures that Oregon's a top 10. Like, you know, all of like, like those things could, is it, is it probable? No, but like there is a universe where that happens. And, uh, and, and, and there's a universe where at least one of those teams are top five by the time USC meets them. So this will be a stretch. I, it's it's going to be difficult. You of course get the week thirteen bye week leading into the Pac twelve championship game, um, and as Kenny has pointed out in the chat, getting the bye before the conference championship is the only time uh, that SC can apparently win a Pac twelve championship it's, game. SC yeah. has been in the Pac twelve championship game four times. They are one and three. The only time they won was twenty seventeen, in which they had the bye before. The other time they had the bye before would have been twenty nineteen, but SC did not make it in twenty nineteen. Yeah. Um, did have a red hot November in 2019, but they did not make it uh, into the Pac-12 championship game. Of course, that November included a blowout lost Oregon, but yeah. Yeah. Bygones begotten bygones. Um, yeah. We, we got a question from Renee. It says, what's the point of a week zero game? And I think it's a valid question when you put it, you... Or like talk about the week zero game in relation to where the bye week is. Because SC gets the week zero game against San Jose State, but they're off week three. So essentially it's like playing San Jose State in week zero instead of week three. And while it's nice to have that gap in week three, I feel like part of the point of having a week zero game is, A, it's a showcase game for you early in the year for recruiting purposes, even though it's against San Jose state, I don't know that's going to like, it's not going to be the ABC game of the week or whatever. Um, And then on top of that, you want to be able to create another bye week but SC doesn't get that luxury because the bye weeks at the end, but also the bye week at the end is a nice luxury. If you can take advantage of it, it's weird. So in the context of this schedule, obviously if USC wasn't playing in week zero, Schedule making is very complicated. If USC yes. wasn't playing in week zero, would we have the same schedule that we're looking at in front of us right now? Probably not. The, 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 the scheduling situation would have been shifted quite a bit. But in a year when you're playing at Notre Dame, which means that the Notre Dame game is in October instead of at the end of the season in that week 13 slot. Yeah. There is an argument, I think, to take the week zero game to get the early buy and create the second buy before a title, uh, a conference title game. I think there's an argument to be made that will ultimately be beneficial to USC. The risk obviously is that if you don't get to the conference title game, that bye week is a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're playing Notre Dame in October, it kind of screws your schedule in a weird way. I- and I think I, I think I'm okay with the idea of week zero to 
sort of manufacture that. that I'm I'm really fascinated to see what happens in the Big Ten, what they do with Notre Dame. Yeah. Because obviously SC, um, you know, has mandated that that game is in it is in October the the road trip part of it we know the whole lore of McKay saying we're going to cancel the season cancel the 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 um the the series unless it gets moved to October uh and and Notre Dame agreeing to it um but it creates a sort of issue for scheduling um, which the Pac-12 is solved in part because Stanford plays the reverse uh, of that. So it sort of works out that, you know, Notre Dame is ending their season in California against either Stanford or SC. And so you sort of get to where Stanford and SC has to play early on in the season. But without Stanford there, um, you still have to deal with the UCLA part of it. And so what happens? Does the Big Ten just put the SCUCLA game always in week 12? Or do they move it back? Or like, because the Big Ten likes to, like, there's a lot of rivalry games that are sort of just set for the last week of the year. Yeah, I think think it feels like they just have USC and UCLA as that rivalry game to end the season. But, But what happens with, does UCLA end up with the bye week in week 13 too? And on even years, hmm. see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Um, I, I, does a team without a dedicated rival say like um, Penn State? Um, the, I think Penn State usually finishes their season against like Michigan State, but I don't know if that's like always locked into the final week. Like, are they going to become maybe a filler? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how it's going to work. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens there. Uh, as Cameron points out, that SC would have played BYU, and yeah, BYU was kind of nice, um, and they had scheduled um, with Stanford to be that sort of alternate and sort of fit there. Uh, but BYU going to the Big Twelve kind of changes things um, and allows that that date to sort of open up there. But either way, I w- one of the fascinating things for me about the season is that the duality of some SC fans thinking that the Pac-12 completely screwed over SC. Um, and then some, you know, uh, opposing fan bases in the Pac-12 thinking that the schedule absolutely was handed to SC. Um, and I think that this is a schedule in which you can look at both ways. You can say that SC benefits by having the, the bye week before the Pac-12 championship game. And that could be a huge benefit. But also playing nine games in a row, including that daunting second half, you can argue that that's even you know worse than having that bye week at the end. There's a lot of give and take here. It um, having <laughs> so I once did a thing at like at Fox Sports where we were interviewing. Look, got a tour of the studio and and got to interview um, some of the hosts and stuff afterwards. And they had somebody who was sort of was working with or, or had been working for um, the, the scheduling part of the like network and having a conversation with him about like the things that go into how they determine the schedule and how they choose their games for where they're going and how they sort of all of the different rigmaroles around that, which is, is tangential to the, um, the way that like a conference will put together their schedule. Right. 
it's all extremely complicated. So complicated, in fact, that it is very difficult for a, for a conference to set out to disadvantage one team in particular. Because when it comes down to it, everyone is going to be disadvantaged in some way and everyone is going to be advantaged in some way. Yeah. And it just it just happens the way it happens because there's so many pieces that need to get put together. Um, USC has the advantage of that buy. They have the disadvantage of that stretch before the buy. Yeah. Like you can't acknowledge one without also acknowledging the other. Yeah. Uh, if you let me design the schedule with the express purpose of, of making it as easy as possible for USC, this is not the schedule that I would put together at all. Like this is the opposite of what I would do. I would have a much more balanced first half and second half. I would not have six and O oh and then, well, throw things at a dart and let's see how USC does. Um, Here's a random question. If it was up to you, would you put the Notre Dame rivalry early in the year? Every year or when? Every year. Like, like if, if tradition was not a thing, I do and, and wonder why, like, like if you, if you, if you could move it to the beginning of the year, would you? Why not have Notre Dame as the first game of every year? Now, it would, it would solve why. a lot of it would solve it, it a lot would of solve things. a lot of or or not maybe not even the first game of every year but like one of the first three games because right. the first three when you're when your conference schedule hasn't started in theory right I know why you don't do that um, I know I Notre Dame doesn't want that they, well, they they don't want that because it's easier to re- to schedule the early games because that's when teams have openings yes. So them having one of their them always being able to comfortably lock in SC in October and November is makes it easier for them. Yeah. For their scheduling. If you're USC, I think that starting the year every year with Notre Dame would number one, potentially get boring. Number two, create an overly marquee matchup every year that uh, doesn't necessarily help you the way that a later Notre Dame matchup could help you. Sure. Um, yeah. In theory, it would but, certainly feel weird. Yeah, uh, but uh, but certainly, like for instance, if you took that Notre Dame game and just slotted it into week three instead of week uh, week seven, like the schedule would feel a bit more balanced. You'd have uh, a, an advantage on your bye week uh, coming in week seven rather than week three. Uh, then you could really say that USC is getting a huge advantage from the the placement of the bye weeks. Right. But um, West Texas Mike says there needs to be a chill in the air when SC lands in South Bend. No, yeah. I agree. Yes. I, well, and that's the, that yes. was going to, I don't know what South Bend is like in early September, but I'm going to guess it's not very nice. Uh, um, maybe a little humid, but yeah, it, it'd be better to play there in September than say uh, Texas then, Station. Yeah. That's, I mean, College that's, Station. That's fair, but like it's really nice playing there in October. So Texas Station's a, you know, casino. Maybe you do want to play at the Texas station. I don't um, personally, but yeah, the uh, um, Walker in the chat says rivalry games shouldn't come before week six. I see. I think there's, I think it, it depends on what the rivalry is because like I loved Notre Dame and Michigan playing early on in the season. Well, I, I kind of like USC Stanford. I like SC Stanford early. being early. I, I like Colorado, Colorado state being a rivalry that's early on. 
Like there's some rivalries that I think work early. I, I sort of like how the SEC has, you know, that Tennessee, Florida is going to be like the fourth week of the year. And you know, that, uh, you know, third Saturday in October is going to be Tennessee, Alabama. Like I, I kind of like how that sort of works, but um, Tim says tradition was changed once before it used to be in, no- in November until we demanded it move to October, 1961. Uh, one more move would be better. It's always miserable in October. Yeah. I, I, I think why we like it where it is uh, so much of it is because it's, it's what, we're what we're used, used to. to. Yeah. Yeah. It's what we're used to. Yeah, absolutely. So. And, and in 2024, what we're used to gets thrown out the window on every other level for USC. So yeah, might as well start now. Yeah, I mean the the, the big ten, the Big Ten change is the best possible excuse for USC to approach Notre Dame about making a change to when they play because the Big Ten schedule is a whole new animal. So, yeah, yeah. but then the ACC might hate it. So who knows? I don't. Yeah, they uh, complicated. They're gonna fit the game in wherever they can make the game fit. That's what I'm gonna tell you. Uh, let's go to the mailbag. We got a bunch of questions here on YouTube. As always, if you're joining us on YouTube, be sure to toss your questions into the chat. Put question at the front so we can go through there and easily sort of mark those and save them for later. Ram and says, do the offensive line and defensive line additions help make us better heading into next season? 100% better. Yes. Um, I thought that USC would go into 2023 expecting to fe- to feel a slight drop off on offense. I now look at you, the, the, the roster that we look at right now for USC's offense there is no reason that this this offense can't get better than they were last year, which is scary to think about. Um, but that's the level that Lincoln Lincoln Riley's offenses have been better than they were at USC last year, and that is the level that I think they're going to shoot for with the additions on the offensive line. Um, uh, I'll I'll say that on the offensive line, like I. Th- I think SC has put together an offense that will at worst be as good as they were this past season. And this as good as they were this past season was a top three offense in the country. So uh, you uh, take that. If, if that's exactly what they're going to be again, take that in a million years. And that's not the reason why SC didn't make the playoff. Um, The, is the defense better? Um, You would, you would hope so, but they also have to replace Tully Pelotu, who was, you know, a, a huge, you know, eater in this offense. And he had a bunch of production behind him. And yes, we've talked about before that, like his production kind of, I, I, I don't want to say that he was someone who, who, you know, went away in big games because that's, that's not what I'm saying here, but when he was dominant, they weren't, it, it, it was when SC was, defense was working as a whole and when SC's really struggled on defense that's when you wanted to see Thule sort of you know step up and not just him but you want to see anybody step up on defense and nobody did it wasn't a that's not a knock on Thule that's a knock on you know the, the defense as a whole like no when things were going bad no one actually you know ended up stepping up to to make that big play and you still need to find those guys you you want to hope that Kalen Bullock can still be that guy that, you know, hope can be an all American. And you want to, you hope that Corey Foreman can be the, the dude who had the pick against UCLA and was the number one recruit still like you, you still want to see those things. And SC needs to get better in those areas. Um, going out and getting Jack Sullivan and, 
and Anthony Lucas and all those guys, like I, I think it helps, but we still need to see the defense be better before we say that they are better, at least for me. I don't think that USC added anybody who is as good as Tuli Tupelo to on defense. Yes. I think USC added players at positions of extreme need so that the defense as a whole will be better overall, even with losing Tuli Tupelo to. Because the problem is that Tuli Tupelo to is a one-man show. And with the exception of Makai Blackman sort of taking care of his business at, at, at corner, USC didn't have standout performances from enough players uh, that were around yeah. him. So it sort of just sort of made Tuli's contributions irrelevant to a certain point, because if you're getting sacks on first and second down, but giving up, giving right. up third down and not getting off the field, then it's, it doesn't really matter. Um, Mason Cobb having Tackett Curtis arriving as a recruit. Um, the additions from from the defensive line in general, not, not just it's two years of additions on the defense that I think are like what USC did last year with the, with recruiting the transfer portal was to add some depth, some bodies. I think this year they took the other step forward of adding guys who will be at worst depth, but, but you look at them and you think that's more like a starter for USC to add to that front seven in particular. Um, so if the defense doesn't get better, considerably better, then that is an L that Lincoln Riley is going to have to own. And I think that the the big thing for me going into 2023 is Lincoln has put his faith in Alex Grinch to get the job done. They've gone out and recruited some some good players that are going to make a difference for USC just from a personnel upgrade standpoint. But they didn't add any All-Americans. So it's going to have to depend on the scheme mm -hmm. coming together and actually working. And if it doesn't work, then again, that's an L that Lincoln Riley owns. Yeah. But from a long-term perspective, Lincoln Riley is still, I'm reading a book, um, <laughs> reading a book by uh, um, uh, Diallo. What's his name? Uh, Ray Diallo, I think called principles. And, um, I'm also reading a book uh, called Courage is Calling, and I'm reading a chapter a day of each of those books. And the chapters that I read today happened to coincide. They were all about failure, and they were all about how you have to fail in order to learn and that you can't be afraid to fail because if you are, then you can never learn the lessons that failure teaches you. Um, I don't know that Lincoln Riley has experienced failure as a head coach to the degree that he would need to, to learn the hard defensive coordinator lesson. So 2023, he will either be proven right about Alex Grinch and everyone can move forward happy, or he will be proven very wrong about Alex Grinch and he's going to have to learn from that mistake. Um, so either way, USC comes out ahead is <laughs> sort of what I'm what I'm getting at. Um, but yeah, that's a I think I think the defense, you look at the personnel additions, they should be better. If they're not, then we'll have learned a lesson. Well, th this sort of goes back to 2017, a conversation that we had back then where so many people after the Cotton Bowl in 2017 wanted team art and fired. They wanted um, wholesale changes in with the coordinators and stuff. And, and we had talked about 
there is no like I understand why there is you know people not happy with where the offense is um under Sam Darnold and all that stuff but if you are Clay Helton and you win a Rose Bowl and a Pac-12 championship in the first two years how do you tell yourself that you need to make wholesale changes yeah. like you're like yes that that is not necessarily living up to the expectations that fans have but I think that realistically as as a as a coach in general you are checking the boxes that you want to check off like it's that's not enough failure to really make those those cuts the only coach that makes those cuts that quickly is Nick Saban but Nick Saban can do that when he's won so many national championships that if he doesn't win a national championship it is a failure right and for Lincoln Riley, yes, not going to the playoff is going to, you know, be a failure and he's probably going to call it a, you know, a, it's going to feel like a failure to him, but it's not quite, it's not quite the same when you're still winning the Heisman Trophy and you're still doing those things, right? Like, yeah, especially in year one, like this, it's, well, it's really easy to say that, well, it, this was year one with the defense. Well, we still have to give it another go. Yeah, I think there's been sort of some built-in excuses. Um, and I, I think that those run out in 2023 if things don't get get better on that on that end of the field. Yeah. Uh, Cameron says, of all the transfer portal players signed so far, which one will make the biggest impact in 2023? Same question, but also for the true freshman. Cameron from uh, Frisco, Texas. Mason Cobb, the linebacker. Uh, I, I really think that he is the, the the piece that USC needs at linebacker. They they just they need someone like Mason Cobb. So I've got high hopes for him. Uh from the the freshman, uh it's it's gotta be Zach Branch. He just Is it? I, I think so. I think he's gonna come in and, and command a uh command a role in this in in the offense right away. I would love to say Tackett Curtis. I know a lot of people are super high on Tackett Curtis. I am super high on Tackett Curtis. But I just think it's a lot easier to make an impact as a freshman wide receiver than as a freshman linebacker in a defense that uh, needs that that is is all wonky, anyways. So Zach Branch is the number four ranked recruit in the country. Yes, I think he's absolutely capable of providing a huge impact. I like I don't disagree with you there. However, he's coming into a position in which SC is literally the strongest. That's fair. And, and yeah. so, like, if we're talking about sheer impact, I don't know that he is going to be set up to have the most impact in year one. With, with Tackett Curtis, I would fully be on board to say Tackett Curtis could be that guy. However, I think Mason Cobb coming in might take away some of the ability for Tackett Curtis to really have a lot of freshman impact as well. Um the linemen, I don't think necessarily um, in here either. I, I don't know. I, I Let's say Braylon Shelby. That would be big. That would Edge be rusher. very big. If, it, uh, if Braylon Shelby is able to get in and, and start right away and have an impact as a freshman, that'll be big for, for USC's defense. It, it really will. Yeah. Because as we said, they've added quite a few people um, to those positions. So if he's breaking through, it's not because USC doesn't have other guys who are capable of playing those positions. It's because he really is that good. 
Yeah. Uh, Malcolm says Branch is, is different from any of the wide receivers, though. Yeah, I think Branch could absolutely have a you know year where he catches you know, 30, 40 passes or something. I guess my thought is, is that truly making a big impact on the team's value? I don't know that it is because we know that SC is going to be very good on offense regardless of who is catching the passes. And that's not you – know, not taking anything away from Zach Branch. I just think SC has so many wide receivers – that I think that somebody is going to catch those balls uh, the, where, where SC is. Um, next question comes from Cali Cat. Did Michael get a new camera? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Michael got a new camera. and uh, I'm in focus now. He's in focus now. He's a little bit more clear. Um, the, the background is a little bit more of, a, of an I, issue I'm, for us. I, I'm, I'm kind of bummed because I... I'm now using one monitor instead of two. Currently, my second monitor is is somewhere else at the moment. And in order to put the monitor where I want to, I end up seeing you in the picture. So I had to like move my thing over here. <laughs> so like you're not in it. And it's like kind of a weird angle for me to sit here. But yeah. yeah. Uh, Reverend Murdy says, what excites you about the 2023 schedule and what scares you the most? What are your way too early record predictions? What excites you? Just, just football being back, being able to watch Caleb Williams play football again. It's uh, a lame answer. It, it's, it is, it's, it's a lame answer, but what I, so I, it's funny. I knew Lincoln Riley was very, very, very good. And I knew his offenses wow. were very, very, very good. But I think getting to watch every single down of a Lincoln Riley offense with a Caleb Williams quarterback sparked a ridiculous amount of joy in my life, and I and mm. I really I can't wait to 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 watch those guys cook again. Um, what's the it was a record a record prediction? Yeah, and and what's what scares you? What scares me? Um, what scares me is that stretch between Notre Dame and UCLA. I think USC can be a very, very good team and still get banged up in those games. Um, there is also a, a universe where like, this is one of those weird reverse years where the second half of the season turned out to be not quite as difficult as it seemed it was going to be a la 2017. Sure. Sorry, no, a la 2016. 2016, yeah. Um, because, you know, Notre Dame might not be – might not take another step forward under under Marcus Freeman. Utah could take a step back. Washington might have been a flash in the pan. Um, the Bo Nix experience at Oregon without Kenny Dillingham could flip in the wrong direction. Um, those could be a bunch of paper tigers. But right now, they don't look it. Um, I have yeah. too much respect for Kalen DeBoer at Washington. Um, I think they will be very I think difficult. he's the best coach in America that no one talks about. I have too much respect. Speaking of, I, I mean, basically when it comes down to it, Kyle Whittingham and Kalen DeBoer, I have so much respect for. Um, I always expect that Notre Dame game to be difficult. Even if Notre Dame isn't that good, mm-hmm. it still will be a difficult It's not game. an easy place to play. No. Um, and going to Autzen, it's been a long time since USC went to Autzen. 2015. I, I don't know if USC's players even have a sense of what Autzen is. Um, so that'll be that'll be tough. I, I'm just worried about that. My schedule prediction, having said that, is still like 11 and 1 looking at this schedule. Uh, the one being 
Autzen against Oregon. Um, I, I, I still favor USC against Notre Dame and Utah and Washington at home. So my other fear is just like being disappointed because I look at this and think USC could be 11 and one. I, so. I, I, th- I think for me, the, ex- the excitement is, it is the home games. I think I want to see the Coliseum, you know, loud and rowdy again. Um, and the, this past season, we famously did not go to a game. Um, but the, the vibe was supposed to be significantly better than the Notre Dame game. Everyone said the Notre Dame game felt back. Like like the the atmosphere was back there, and if the Coliseum has that that vibe for the Utah and Washington game, I think that 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 will be huge. Absolutely. Um, the the fear I think for me, for from the SC perspective, is that I think the Pac-12 is just so good. I think there's a very realistic chance that SC might be a better football team with the worst record, mm-hmm. and that's just because the Pac-12 is so good, and yeah. and. If the Pac-12 just if I know that someone's not bound to take a step back, um, we all sort of assume it's UCLA because they're you know losing DTR and and uh, and running back and and all that stuff. But Char- like Charbonnet. yeah, Char- Charbonnet. But like it, it it just seems like the Pac-12 is so loaded that SC could literally be better and have a worse record. Um, and and you know, and it could be one of those years where you get to the end and like they're better, but they didn't go to the playoffs still. And then you have to have the conversation of, did they waste Caleb Williams or whatever? And like, that would just be nauseating. I I, I think. Um, uh, Walker says what's happening at practice for Georgia to get their defense. So amped up and dominant. Um, I, I, Kirby smart, just, he he has its and his ability to convince his team that they were the underdog is just insane. And I, I, the, I, I want that ability to gaslight. Like, can you imagine <laughs> how powerful that would be? Yes. If you were able to convince your team, like if you were able to convince like the, like the most talented <laughs> person ever that they had to also work harder than everybody else because Jeez. they're actually not that talented. Um, it also helps that Kirby smart has been at Georgia for a long time and has recruited a lot of really, really, really good players on defense. Also, that's another interesting discussion that we could have. We've gone very long, so we can't have it for too long, but there was a discussion about, um, uh, the sort of NFL draft and, the five, I mean, the, the, the recruiting stars and all that kind of stuff and, and how recruiting stars and, and whether or not they are a predictor for success. And they found that, um, on offense, there were a lot more sort of three star success stories. You didn't need to be a five star talent on offense to become sort of a a high draft pick, but on defense, the correlation between being a high-rated, rec- highly-rated recruit and an NFL—I mean, like an NFL draft prospect—the correlation was very, very strong. I have two theories about this. Well, the theory that I saw that I sort of bought into was that on defense, your 
just natural athleticism and and sort of size and all of those things that you can't coach are more important um, than on offense where scheme can can sort of cover a lot of ills. Yeah, defense is reactionary, yes. and and on offense you are is is actionary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that plays a role into it. The second side of it, there's just more offensive players. That's true. Like yeah. th- think about how many wide receivers Way there more are. Wide receivers, yeah. There's just going to be a lot of freaking three star receivers. I, when I was looking up stuff for the rundown, Jacoby um, Jacoby Lane um, is the 392nd overall recruit, which but he's something crazy. like the like the 59th wide receiver. Yeah, which means like one out of eight recruits in the top 400 is a wide receiver. That just means there's a lot of wide receivers, and there's which and you know he's still a four star, but like. There's gonna be a there's gonna be a lot more Taj Washingtons out there, um, that you know end up finding a place in a scheme, and uh, the way football is, it's easier to scheme offense anyways, and so you can find yourself in an offense that is able to maximize your ability. Yeah, yeah, we're on defense, scheme fit, and all that kind of stuff does matter, mm-hmm. but when it comes down to it, if you're if you're quick and you're strong and you're powerful, you'll you're gonna you'll, make you'll up for a that up. a little more often. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at like Georgia's scholarship distribution on 24-7 sports, and you just see the number of five stars, high four stars um that are on that defense. Mm-hmm. You recruit those guys in part because you've earned the trust of those guys to know that you're gonna be playing on a very, very good defense. And that good defense then helps you recruit the next, like there's a cycle that USC is needing to break the current cycle because USC's yes. defense has only ever been for the last, for the, for the most recent memory has been poor. <laughs> so uh, building up some, some cachet and starting to recruit better and having scheme work for those recruits more uh, and, and the cycle goes around. The, the next question comes from Cameron from Frisco, Texas as well. And it is a trick question and I'm not going to fall for it, Cameron. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Which quarterback in the 2023 schedule do you fear the most and why it is cam rising. And if you don't say cam rising, you're convincing yourself other, otherwise it is cam rising. It is cam rising. Cam rising. Cam Rising has beaten Cam Rising has beaten USC often enough. To I know he doesn't look him. athletic. He doesn't look scary. The dude is scary, and you should be you should fear him more than anybody else because if you like you overlook him for a second and you know what happens. Though so it's 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 Cam Rising, it's Cam Rising. Um, Nick says, "How many years have the Pac-12 been as competitive as expected?" History lets me to believe that maybe half the projected top teams uh, will perform as expected. I I don't know. I don't know that we've ever gone into a Pac-12 season that's been this good off the hop. Like so here's the pr- here's half the, problem, the league though. had ten wins last year. It is a zero sum game though, so you can't have Washington be very very good without that being to the detriment of Oregon or 
you know, USC or whoever they play. So yes, if you go in with, you know, six or seven teams that everyone looks at and says like, oh, those are going to be very good. Some of them are going to lose to each other and it's going to look like they were, like you said, USC could be a better team next year with a worse record. Yeah. So that's just a reality of, of conference play. Yeah. Um, we, we've got an hour and a half, so uh, we got to wrap this up really quick here in a minute. Uh, Donnell Smith, um, how optimistic is Alicia about 2023? You said 11 or one. That seems pretty optimistic. I'm very optimistic. Yes. Where, where do you, where do you see Gentry playing now that they have Cobb? Uh, I think they'll keep him at linebacker. I, I, I don't know how experimental they're going to get with him because of his whole, you know, does he, is he a linebacker or not? Make, make Gentry the new, um, uh, Dion Bailey. I think that would be really fun. Just go all in on him being a tweener and like embrace it. Yeah. I, I, I like it, but, uh, yeah. And, and Walker says, where do you think the back 12 will, will fall next after SC leaves? Yeah. I think they probably add the state schools. San Diego State and Fresno State, but realistically, Washington and Oregon do need to go to the Big Ten. Yeah. Yeah. Save those schools in Pac-12. Um, anyways, that's going to wrap up the show. Thanks, as always, for joining us. We'll be back next week to talk about our new membership program, which will be really fun um, and means more content here as we go in the off season and uh, get ready for uh, the upcoming football season, even though it's still months away. Uh, thanks, as always, for joining us. Big shout out to everybody in the chat uh, for for being with us as always. Um, We appreciate you. We'll be back next week, next Monday uh, on the uh, 13th, February 13th. Not a Friday. uh, 5 p.m. Pacific. Same time, same channel. We'll be back then. And until then, see ya. See ya. See ya. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.